Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, my name is Christopher Price of the Boston Globe. I'm the host of the Patriots Report here on the Believe Podcast Network. Before we get started with this week's episode, I just want to take a quick moment to say thank you to each and every one of you guys out there who continue to download, listen, and subscribe to each episode of the Patriots Report. We hit a big milestone this week, 500 downloads, very exciting, but at the same time, we want to continue to grow. We want to continue to offer you guys top-notch Patriots conversation, NFL analysis, and anything else you guys are looking for out there. So thanks again. We look forward to another 500 downloads sooner rather than later. Let's get into this week's episode with Bob Wischusen. I am very happy today to be joined by Bob Wischusen, the longtime play-by-play man for the New York Jets. He also works for ESPN, calling college football and basketball. He's also one-third of a sensational podcast of his own. I highly recommend it. It's called Tapeheads with Dan Orlovsky and Scott Pioli. You can check that out at iHeartRadio.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at ESPN Bob. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's jump right into it. Coming out of the bye, looking at this schedule, how are the Jets viewing this weekend's game against New England? This feels like a measuring stick game for for a Jets team that's kind of looking to make a statement, maybe build on the first five games of the season. Yeah, you know, I think for them right now, it's almost irrelevant who the opponent is because they're just with a super young team. I think the youngest team in the NFL by average age, Mm -hmm. they're just trying to find their way. You know, I mean, they've got a quarterback that I think right now probably at times looks out there and thinks he sees like 17 guys on the field. That certainly was the case the last time that they played the Patriots, um, where he threw a bucket load of interceptions. So, you know, people keep asking me, how many games are they going to win? What do you think the record's going to be at the end of the year? I think they'll probably win five, maybe six games. But I think they're the kind of team because they're so young. They do have some talent, and I do think there's a reason that they drafted the quarterback. And I think, you know, when they played the Titans a few weeks ago, you saw why. Um, But what games are they going to win? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think at the end of the year, we'll look back and we'll say, oh, they won five games. Okay, great. But who they'll be? Great question. Um, I think there will be games where they will lose. And you'll look back and say, oh, my God, like, how did they lose to that team? Or how did they lose that game? There'll be games where they win, where you'll be like, wow, like, I cannot believe they won that game. And it'll add up to five at the end of the year. Um, but I think it's just the nature of, it, of an incredibly inexperienced team. First year head coach, first year offensive and defensive play callers, rookie quarterback, number one rookie running back. Second-year left tackle, rookie left guard. I mean, they're they're just young all over the place. And uh, especially with the quarterback, they're just going through that right now. Last time these two teams met, the Jets were particularly adept at running the football. They piled up 152 yards on the ground. Michael Carter, Ty Johnson, both of them finished with 50-plus yards. I imagine that's the approach again this week. Run the ball against a New England defense that struggled at times to stop the run keep the game manageable for Wilson, put him in position to succeed with good complimentary football. I mean, that's, that's the ideal Mm -hmm. recipe for them every week, because again, you've got a rookie quarterback and a rookie Mm -hmm. quarterback. Nobody's going to benefit more from a good run game than an inexperienced quarterback. And this system is also based off of play action, run the ball, play action. 
And then, you know, at times you might be able to hit one, um, you know, off of that. Now, if I'm Bill Belichick, you know, I'm, I'm just fine with giving up, you know, whatever they gave up on the ground last time. If from a coverage standpoint, they're able to bait a rookie quarterback into throwing three or four more interceptions. So that to me, that's the biggest, I mean, that, you know, look back at the, the first meeting between the, the two teams, you know, football is a game where we give the coach and the, and, and the quarterback way too much blame or way too much credit. Um, and oftentimes there are things that have nothing to do with the quarterback that do determine the outcome of these games. The first meeting between these two teams, the reason the Jets lost was their quarterback. I mean, there's no cut and drop. The defense did everything they could for the majority of the game to keep them in it until they just wore out because the offense either turned it over over and over again or uh, was was off the field after three or four plays. Um, and, and as you said, they ran the ball for 150 yards. So the last time these two teams met, it was a pure case of arguably the greatest defensive mind in the history of the NFL against a quarterback looking at his defense for the first time ever and, you know, really having no idea what he was looking at or how to beat it. So, you know, I, I would think that if I'm Bill Belichick, I'm, I'm going to test Zach Wilson this time around again to see early in the game, here's what we did to you the first time. We're going to do it again. Have you fixed it? If you haven't fixed it, then we're just going to feast on you. That bring, brings up a great point, and that kind of leads me into my next question here specific to Wilson. How much, if at all, has he changed over the last few weeks? And if so, where has he improved? What parts of his game has he been able to kind of – what parts of his game have evolved to a point where we can look at a guy this week and say, hey, he's made these changes since the first time the Patriots and Jets have played? Again, I don't know. That's a good question because I would have said off of the game against Tennessee where they won. And, of course, if you're winning, well, then the quarterback looks great. Um, and he made some big plays, some off-script plays, you know, some improvisational stuff that, I mean, that's really why they drafted him. It's, it's not only because they think he can be a really good quarterback uh, long-term, but also he does have that Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray kind of, you know, I can do things off schedule that other quarterbacks can't do quality. And we've seen that start to emerge a little bit more, but he regressed again in London. I mean, they, they played, uh, you know, they played the Falcons and he was bad. Um, so, you know, I'll be interested to see the, the bye week, I think, for a rookie can be big. You know, now you can self-scout. Now we can take a look at the first five weeks of the season, sift through everything, you know, and rather than just coming off a bad game, a day later, diving right into the next opponent. All right, we've got four or five days here to to really dig into, you know, what, what's happened over the first five weeks. And I think that that'll be something I'll be very curious to see on Sunday if we do see a different-looking quarterback than the last time we saw him against the Patriots. We better, or the Jets will be non-competitive again. One of the things we heard from Bill before the first game between these two teams was the fact that Robert Sala and the Jets have tried to implement the San Francisco scheme, basically, on defense in New York. How has that manifested itself over the first five games of the season? Well, the one thing that he's been able to do, 
and he did it last year because, like, in week two, the Jets played um, the 49ers, and the 49ers lost their two best pass rushers, Bosa, for the season uh, in, like, a span of two plays in the first quarter. And San Francisco still last year was a top-10 defense. And the Jet, I mean, the one strength, if anything, that the Jets have had this season is, you know, outside of Quinn and Williams, they don't really have many notable players on their defensive line. I don't know how many people around, you know, the NFL, or at least that aren't diehard followers of the NFL, know the names, you know, Bryce Huff or uh, John Franklin Myers. But they have generated a really consistent pass rush with four, really no more than five, going after the quarterback. And I think that's been something that has helped their defense immeasurably because the back end of their defense is ridiculously young as well. They've got corners where the, the gray beard of their corners is a second-year player. You know, Bryce Hall is like the most veteran corner they have, and he was a rookie last year. Around him, they've got three other guys who regularly play who are all rookies. Their safeties were supposed to be Marcus May and LaMarcus Joyner. LaMarcus Joyner was lost for the season right at the beginning of the year, so he's gone. Marcus May is still out for at least, I think, another week or two. Um, I mean, so they've They've got nothing but young guys behind that pass rush. So you don't want to blitz. Like, ideally, you would love to get some pressure on the opposing quarterback without having to blitz to do it. So you're not asking too much of your young secondary. And that's worked. That's been something they've been very good at. They're going to have to do that again this week. Um, you know, but in, in terms of like, you know, a lot of times with rookie quarterbacks in the NFL, we see defensive coordinators try and come up with all different kinds of disguised looks and star Wars blitzes. And if we can get them on third and seven, we're going to bring seven guys up to the line of scrimmage and who's coming. I mean, for Mac Jones, I think he probably knows that the jets are going to rush him with four mm -hmm. pretty much the whole game. I would think they will rush him with four, maybe once in a while, bring a fifth. And I guess a handful of times in the game, they'll bring, you know, an all out blitz just to keep them honest. But I think he will know my job is to try and diagnose what coverage they're in because I don't think I'm going to have to worry about them too often sending a whole bunch of guys after me just because they, I don't think they want to expose a young secondary to, uh, to have it to do too much. Give me the name of a guy who's an under-the-radar type, someone who maybe necessarily we wouldn't be talking about this week when it comes to a game preview, but someone who has a chance because of scheme, health, personnel, whatever the case may be, to have a real impact come Sunday. Yeah, I mean, the one that I mentioned already that I would say um, is, is John Franklin Myers. Uh, you, know, he, uh, you know, kind of a unique name and a unique guy. Um, you know, they, they picked him up off the scrap heap. Um, and, you know, hey, he's already worked himself. He just signed a, a contract extension where it was really like the blue-collar mailroom to the boardroom worked his rear end off to become a really good player story got rewarded. And he just signed a big contract with, I don't know, it's like $30 million or $25 million in guarantees or something. And, you know, the whole group that was in there with him as he's signing his contract had big giant smiles on their faces, Joe Douglas and his whole group, because this is the guy that you want to pay. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this this is the, the guy that is just turn. He's a self-made player that's become an impact player. And if you look at all the metrics, like the pro football focus stuff, um, you know, all of the, the scouting stuff, you know, he is routinely rated really, really high. Pass rush win rate, you know, one-on-one win rate, all of those things. He's become uh, a really good player that very few people, I think, around the NFL know. They kind of have him in that back-and-forth hybrid role, almost like a poor man's Aaron Donald, where there are times in – you know, pass rush situations might put him towards the outside to try and get home with speed and early downs. He's playing inside because, you know, he's effective there as well. He's just he's a really versatile player that gives you a lot of schematic flexibility because of the different places you can move him around. What are the Jets? And this is the last game preview question for me. What do the Jets have to do to pull off the upset on Sunday? Oh, they, you can't turn it up. I mean, they, if you look at they're right at the top of the league and have been in most weeks in turning the ball over. They were relatively clean against Tennessee and it kept them in the game and they had a chance to win. But the improvement they've made off of last season of this season, if there is one, is that at least they're more competitive. You know, last year it seemed like we were halfway through the season. They were 0-8, 0-9. And when they were losing every week, I mean, most of the time it was, it felt like the final score every week was like 26-3. to They were just non-competitive. Even in a couple of their losses last week or two weeks ago, I should say, against, you know, the Falcons in, in Atlanta, they they had a comeback. I mean, they, they got the game to an onside kick, even opening day. They lost to Sam Darnold in Carolina. They got the game to an onside kick. So, I mean, they're lurking there as a team that could upset some people. But when they have been or have looked non-competitive this year, it's because their rookie quarterback is playing like a rookie and throwing it to the other team. So, the jumping off point is he needs to early in the game kind of keep it simple, check downs and take what's there. Just don't turn the ball over and give your team a chance. Finally, tell me how tape heads came together. This is an absolutely fantastic podcast. It's a great listen. I, I've downloaded everything. It, it's just it's become a, a, a must listen each and every week for me and, and I think for anyone who wants to learn anything at all about the National Football League. I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I'm, I'm a football nerd, you know, like I, I've been calling college games for ESPN for, I guess, 17 or 18 years now. And I've worked with all kinds, um, you know, defensive guys, offensive guys, coaches, quarterbacks, uh, Dan Orlovsky is my partner. Now he followed Brock Heward. I mean, those two guys are as good as anybody I've worked with and are also as, as like in, inviting as anybody I've ever worked with to say, Hey, let's watch film together. Let's sit and let me show you what I see. And then what the most important things are in the games we're going to call. And the more tape I've watched with these guys over the years, the more I've found to enjoy it. And the more I love crawling inside the game. And of course, Scott Pioli, I mean, Scott, you know, who's Bill Belichick's right-hand man for a long time and a general manager in Kansas city as well. So he brings that, you know, kind of, nerd element from a personnel standpoint to it, whereas Dan is kind of the master of the telestrator and diagramming and diagnosing. And and we just thought it was a great vehicle for the people that are like us, you know, like the guy that isn't caught up in all of the drama of the NFL and at least wants a little bit of a break from that contract negotiations and 
you know, whatever's going on with the Raiders, with John Gruden. I mean, that, that all needs to be talked about, and that's very important. But there are also some people that just love football and love the X's and O's of it, want to dive inside the game and listen to how coaches think and what the tape shows. And, you know, so that that's kind of where the, this concept came from. We, the niche we're looking for is the football nerd that just loves you know, getting behind the game from an X's and O's standpoint to hear the lens that Dan Orlovsky looks at the game through, the lens that a GM and Scott Pioli looks at the game through, how you build a team to help your coaches and and things like that. And so we just hope that there's a, an audience out there that at least for part of the week is going to say, all right, like I, I can listen to my sports talk shows where everybody's screaming and yelling about fire this guy, trade that guy. But let me take 30 minutes to listen to what goes on in a film room and how these guys prepare for these games. And so it's I got two different things right off of that point. I, I think, first of all, it's a refreshing listen because a lot of times when people get bogged down in film and players and coaches get bogged down in film study, trying to have them explain it to you or someone in the media, it's like them trying to teach you a foreign language. And it's just, it's so tough to be able to pick up on a lot of the intricacies in you guys and, and Scott and Dan, you make it relatively simple for people who are who are still football nerds like you and I, but at the same time, they, they help you understand the game. And I remember conversations I would have in the Patriots locker room where I would just put away a notebook and say, look, help me understand what I'm seeing here in this situation. And you guys were able to do that and translate it and make it so that it's really easy for folks to follow along. The other thing too, and there's a lot of talk up here about Bill the GM versus Bill the coach. And I'm fascinated by the idea of, and, and I want to get your take specifically on Scott, because I know you've spent some time around him. Do you think Scott Pioli would ever come back to New England and be Bill Belichick's GM? That's a great question. I would have to ask him that. I don't know that he would tell me or if that would be something <laughs> that would be on the table. But I do know that Scott thinks about the game and about team building the way that Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, that tree, thinks about the game and team building. You know, I've had this kind of philosophical conversation with Scott about, you know, and I mean, it's the evidence is there on the surface because it happens in all sports. You know, the Yankees are a team that keep on trying to go out and they keep on trying to, like Garrett Cole's got a $340 million contract from the Yankees. And yet the Yankees are on the outside looking in and Garrett Cole's old team, the Houston Astros is right there in the ALCS with the Red Sox. Why does that happen? Like why, why is it that the teams that go out and pilfer the big name free agents can, I mean, look at the Tampa Bay Rays. like explain that to me. And there are football versions of that as well. You know, like when Vince Young talked about the Philadelphia Eagles having the dream team, because all those guys, they went out and signed on the free agent market. And they were a monumental flop. But over and over again, the Patriots, the Steelers, you know, these organizations that just have a philosophy, not of who's the next biggest name I can go get, but how do I build the best 53? And that, that's been the fun part of listening to Scott, picking his brain, even before and after and during breaks in the podcast where I'm asking him things where it's just us talking. You know, like explain it, you know, how, and he always talks about how when you're the personnel builder, you really have to have a clear vision of the kind of team philosophically that your coach wants. 
And now you're going out to try to marry the kind of player that he's going to want to fit that, you know, it's like a quilt or a jigsaw puzzle. And you're trying to put the patches and the puzzle pieces together. And, you know, when your quarterback's Tom Brady and Tom Brady, you know, sees all of the different things at the line of scrimmage that he sees and diagnoses things pre-snap, post-snap as that picture changes and he's five steps ahead, that system only works if you're getting him super intelligent players to play with that can go along with the adjustments he wants to make right at the line of scrimmage. And if those guys can't process that information at 100 miles an hour, then what good is it that Tom Brady is? Because he can't now, so now you've got to look at, you know, like you're, you're testing the IQ of all of these guys. The same reason that Aaron Rodgers has this kismet with Devontae Adams, mm-hmm. but also wanted to get Randall Cobb back. Really, why does Randall, why does Aaron Rodgers want Randall Cobb back on his team? Because he knows Randall Cobb can think the game at a level where they're together and they're on the same page. Is Randall Cobb? you know, the best wide receiver in the NFL now. I mean, Randall Cobb on anybody's fantasy team right now would probably be like a bench player. But to, to Aaron Rodgers, I've got confidence that when I make eye contact with this guy or I see the pre-snap picture and I'm going to diagnose something, this is a guy that's on the same page with me. And just talking through with Scott team building in that way has been really, really fascinating. And so, I, yeah, I mean, you know, it certainly worked when he was up there with Bill the first time around. I, I don't know why, you know, you wouldn't want history to try and repeat itself. I, I just, I, I always look at the Patriots and, you know, you, 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 you never say never when it comes to New England. And so many people have come back. So many people have kind of cycled through the system. And the fact that Bill doesn't really appear to have a counterpoint in the building, at least right now, it just kind of struck me as a possibility. That's all I'm saying. An, an intriguing possibility, but a possibility nonetheless. Anyway, Bob, yeah, I want to thank say thanks again for, for your time today. And, and I want to make sure people know where they can hear you and where they can follow you. Oh, well, I mean, the Tape Heads podcast is basically available on every podcast vehicle. So if you just, you know, search for it, you'll find it. And, uh, um, you know, I try to be as omnipresent as possible on ESPN. So, uh, doing some hockey now. I called the Caps, um, the Washington Capitals, uh, Colorado Avalanche game last night. I've got Penn State, Illinois college football coming up this week. College basketball will start before you know it. And of course, if you're a Jets fan, we're on the radio every Sunday too. So I'm out there. Sounds good. Thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and hopefully we can hook it up again down the road very, very soon. No worries. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.